My name is Willie Bolander. I study influence, persuasion, and leadership in selling and sales management, and I teach people how to sell. In this podcast, we'll talk to some of the world's top sales leaders and see what we can learn from them. Welcome to the Sales Lab. Hey, everybody. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Amy Venezia, Vice President of Talent Acquisition and Development at Plastics Family Americas. Uh, We're going to continue talking about the transition from sales into leadership, what skills transfer, what skills don't, uh, the importance of being able to read people and communicate effectively, and why we agree everybody should start in sales, even if they don't plan on having a long-term career in sales. Hope you get something out of it. I want to ask you about translating, you know, that sales experience and the success in, in outside sales into this these new leadership roles. Did those sales skills transfer? Did some of them transfer, but not others? Was it basically the same thing in a different office? Uh, tell, tell us a little about that. Hmm. Yes, it was pr- probably 60% transferred. I think sales is just the best start. I think everyone should start in st- sales. You will be so successful if you start in sales. It's just the best place. I'm, I'm so grateful that I started in sales and I had no plans to start there. Um, so I think, you know, reading the room, social skills, is someone with me or not? Am I putting them to sleep or are they enjoying our conversation? Do they need what I'm pitching? Am I hearing them? Am I you know, understanding, am I communicating well? Am I presenting well? All of those things translate very well. Can you get along with different people of different backgrounds, ages, of experience? So all of that, I think, is the core. I think someone who has those really good personality traits and work ethic, that's going to translate. There were parts of my sales self, I guess I could say, that I'm still shedding. And honestly, I probably really need to shed more. And, you know, in sales, you want the customer to like you. You, you, kind of not change your personality, but you know, you are interested in what they're interested in. If maybe they're really interested in in golf, you start, you know, reading some golf books and just engaging yourself in the golf community a bit. And in a leadership role, you still want to take great interest in your team, but it's, it's much less about being liked. I think a lot of salespeople can get orders because they are liked, you know, most products are relatively some sort of industry standard and what they offer from a service or a product or a price, you know, maybe within a 15% tolerance or so, you know, everything is, is somewhat there. And that X factor is you, how likable are you? How willing are you to, to go out of your way for the customer? As a leader, I have had to transition to saying, this is my opinion. I'm firm in that. I feel confident in that. This is what's right. I'm trusting my instinct. It's not about a team consensus. I want everyone happy and empowered and I want your opinions. So that stands. Mm. But it's it's going from almost someone else being in charge, the customer, and kind of bending over backwards to make that happen to, no, I'm in charge and I still need to win everyone over and make sure they're happy with it. But but it's it's much more about respect than likability, in my opinion. That has been a big change. I like that. It's essentially, essentially you're selling your own initiative and your own authoritative ideas and programs as opposed to taking the inputs from all of the people and, you know, you, you exert yourself by putting the pieces together in the form of your solution and your recommendation, but it's really, uh, yeah, motivated by the customer. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So that's something that didn't translate, you know, the the sort of mm-hmm. focus on the person you're influencing to to the to such an extreme va- uh, level. What, what were some of the things that did translate? I think so much translates. I think really good salespeople can be really great leaders. 
And, you know, being sure of yourself, being open to rejection, figuring out what matters to someone, you know, just actually understanding what does this person across from me care about? And I might care about this. They might care about something else. And can we both achieve it through this one thing? But I'm going to pitch it through that lens. I think that is is very translatable. Work ethic is everything. Being over-prepared and organized is everything. Uh, presenting well is everything. And I think all of those things stem from sales. Working with different personalities is a huge one because you, you know, you don't pick your family. <laughs> you might not also pick your coworkers. And so you have all these really incredible people that naturally most likely wouldn't come together in a friend group per se, but it works because they all have different strengths. So how do you tap into someone's strengths? How do you communicate respect when you disagree? How do you cater to them, communicate to them, figure out what gets your message through and your goal accomplished while making them feel respected and seen and heard. And and really, I think just basically any sort of work ethic or social skills, EQ, that is pivotal in a sales role. It's all about networking with people. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's how many hours you put in or how many boxes you check off. And I always tell my team, I don't care about activity. You know, I don't care if you sent me 25 things you did today. If you did two things that changed the week, that is amazing. You know, it's not always about being the first person and the last person out. I think that's a misconception. I think it's about networking well, communicating well, knowing the right people, presenting your ideas to the right people, persuasion, helping people feel respected, maybe some negotiation in there. Those are all sales strategies. That's everything I teach in our sales training. You know, it, it really comes down to those soft skills to be really successful. Absolutely. And I know your role uh, right now includes sort of a development, you know, a, a development yeah. bucket and then a hiring recruiting de- uh, bucket. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes on in your developmental bucket? Absolutely. I'll so, ask about the hiring bucket later. Okay. So from the kind of the second half, so basically everything I do is people, which is just the best job in the world. I I wake up every day and I don't know how I got so lucky. I love what I do. And I really love the people I work with. I, I feel really lucky. So from a developmental standpoint, it would be when someone's hired. So everything else comes before that. So you're hired. So I would take you from your onboarding. So sometime in your first 90 days, you're your kind of corporate, you could say, employee onboarding through to uh, product training. So we sell a physical product. And and so you can tour those plants. You can see the product get made. We have sales programs for inside sales reps, sales programs for outside sales reps, um, something called a sales excellence program. So kind of the top 10% of the sales reps would come through that, through to the leadership development program or we might call it the rising leaders program. So someone like myself, where I was in sales, I went through this program and I wanted to go into a leadership role. So training you on how to take those sales skills and actually pivot them a bit. And what do you need to add to your skill set to be really successful through to uh, our general managers, onboarding them as well um, as our regional directors. So really kind of your entire pathway as an employee, I should be involved at some point and my team um, in helping make sure that you have the skills needed. So it really does kind of leave up to the employee. It's like the tools are here. And if you want to take advantage of these tools, 
you will very likely be successful. Now, not everyone is perfectly crafted for each one of these roles. We have lifers in sales who say, I just want to make a lot of money (laughs) and I know what I'm doing and I'm good at it and I'm happy. And I think that is so fantastic. But if someone does want to take a different path, to me, it's always been very important. I, I never wanted a company where I had to bounce around to get a promotion here, go to this other company. You see people all the time with one or two year bouncing around. To me, I wanted to make sure we had pathways inside the company that could have someone, I mean, not very many millennials. I'm 31 and a lot of people my age will have had three to five jobs in their first 10 years. And I'm, I'm really proud not only to say I, I have some serious loyalty, but this company has stood up time and time again to make sure that they have that pathway. So there's, there's that, you know, that I really want to preserve and continue to enhance so that people can have an incredible career and they don't even have to leave the company. That would be the ultimate goal. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I was going to say by design, but not not by intentional design, but by unintentional design, you know, that, that a lot of organizations lose their people. I don't know that there's too many people that hate their organization with such a great passion that they wouldn't stay there if there were a pathway for them. <laughs> right. uh, you know, usually yeah. it's, well, I got this kind of grass is greener situation. I can make a little more money. They'll yeah. give me, a, you know, some perks that I don't have here. And, and we often make these decisions on the margin. Mm. Why? Why? Why aren't those pathways there? So it's your job to say here are all the here are all the different pathways. If you want to stay in sales, great. If you want to go into HR, here's a pathway. If you want to go yes. into top leadership, here's a pathway. Yep. Well, let me let me back you up to the onboarding. How do you guys specifically handle onboarding? So most of your training is going to happen in the field. So we have collectively about 225 locations in. Canada, Mexico, US, Chile. And so, you know, your manager, your local office is going to be where you're going to get a lot of that training. But from a headquarters standpoint, sometime in your first 90 days, every quarter we offer a new hire training. So we bring in our new hires from all across North and South America um, into one of our corporate headquarters in either Dallas or Charlotte and put you through a formal week of onboarding. So you're meeting other new hires. That could be new managers. It could be new ISRs, OSRs, warehouse, admin, every single, it could be accountants, marketing, finance, you know, anyone from the company. So you get a really nice mix of people. And and we talk about company culture. That's very important to us, decentralized and empowered and what that means and how that affects you day to day. Um, And then we do some pretty good sales training. So we role play the situations they're going to see in the field. We talk about overcoming objections. How do we add value? Why would someone purchase our product over someone else's? You know, what makes you as a sales rep special? We kind of point out those things and, and have them write those down. What makes you special? What makes the product special? What makes the company special? What can we do that is worth spending money on. Uh, We do negotiation. So it's a lot around that sales process. And then we kind of send you out into the field. And then in that first year, you'd be shadowing from other reps. You would be uh, doing your own calls, your own visits, but you'll be doing a lot of shadowing and you're doing a lot of product training. For us, we sell a very technical product 
Um, it's plastic. Oof, did I just break anybody's car windows? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> plastic is, you know, kind of the taboo word, but it's high performance engineered plastics. You know, we're replacing steel, metal, titanium, glass with high performance plastic. It's not your water bottles, your single use consumer throwaways. So it's actually a very technical product you're selling to engineers. Um, and, and that takes some training. So your first year, while you are for sure selling, I almost view that entire first year as your onboarding. Wow. And so how long does the actual onboarding process at the headquarters face-to-face? Is that a week or is that a few days? One week? Yep. One week. Yep. And uh, you mentioned a lot of what I would call maybe socialization types of things, right? Who are we? Who are you? Uh, who are we not? You know, how do we differentiate? Yeah. Where's our value add? O- yeah. Obviously, I mean, that's that's the right place to start, I think, in onboarding. Uh, you mentioned a lot about sort of sales method or process training, the behaviors that you'll be engaged in. Mm-hmm. How much of that week is spent on the behavioral elements? Maybe 20% if I had to put a number on it. So we'll do, we'll talk a lot about personalities and how do you sell to people with different personalities? What's yours? Let's identify your strengths and weaknesses. And then let's kind of just put that away because it doesn't matter. What matters is your customer. Who are they? What do they want to do? How do they want to be communicated with? And how to adjust your pitch based on the person sitting across from you. Absolutely. And then what percent is based uh, or what percent is focused on the socialization stuff, getting to know the company and all of that? Mm-hmm. That part is is really just like the first day, I would say. One, one out of five days. Initial day is company. Then we'll do about a day of product. And then the last three days are sales from personality, EQ, negotiation, high margin selling, value propositions, overcoming objections, you know, that kind of whole sales package okay. is really the the last three days of the training. That's pretty good. I mean, that's that's quite a big chunk. I mean, so that, you know, if uh, five days, each day is about 20%, right? So that ends up being about 60%, 20, 40, 60. That's a pretty good chunk. You know, I, I've... I've Attended some trainings and and you know familiar with companies that do it in very different ways you know and, mm-hmm. and it's not unheard of that they'll spend in my estimation a, a disproportionate amount of time on the product details sort of like okay you could have sent a five you know a link to a YouTube video or something <laughs> uh, your Vimeo channel they could have done that uh, you know in their own time this face to face time is so powerful for behavioral learning that's difficult, if not impossible to do from a distance. And um, so I'm glad to hear you guys are sort of taking advantage of that time and um, giving it its due. But, you know, yes, I mean, I've seen many companies where role-playing might be an afternoon. Yeah. Going, what? So, well, they're going to learn that on the fly. I was like, you don't think they can learn the product specifications on the fly, but you think they can learn the complexities of navigating a um, <laughs> the multi-person uh, buying center where each person has a different personality and different motivations and like that that's way more complicated than some yeah. of our not all, you know certainly they're very complicated products but you know, but you're yeah, not going to you know, give, never them, give them the bullet points of the features and and benefits uh, and let them take it home and then use that yeah. time with them to talk behaviors yeah because there's so much that even just then, I mean, you get a mixed group. You get people who are maybe fresh out of college. You get more tenured employees, mid-career hires, and you get everyone from every walk of life in this. And I think just 
some things that we get the most value from is just letting people talk to each other. And Mm -hmm. as a facilitator, as a trainer, our job isn't necessarily to lecture. You know, a lot of people have come from college like yours that are just getting this incredible education or they have experience from the field. So it's really facilitating conversations and it's really saying, okay, what are the top five objections that we get? Let's talk about them. How do you handle that in Chicago? How do you handle that in Vegas? How do you handle it in New York versus Miami? And Mm -hmm. what have you seen that's successful? And I learn something every single day. I think there's not enough time in the world to spend on that. You know, at some point they have to go back and make some money for their families, but there's so much that can be gained by just letting people share what they're doing and coming together. And you know, the, we're a relatively small company in the scheme of the massive companies out there, but you know, we're pretty wide reach and you don't get everyone together that often. So when you do, I think just letting people share out is one of the most meaningful takeaways than anything we could even lecture on. Yeah, no, I like that. Well, and a a considerable and growing portion of my research is on the value of internal relationships and driving performance of the salespeople and Mm. sort of saying in, in simple terms, you know, yes, of course, what you're doing with the customer is important, but you can enhance performance without calling on a single extra customer without having to work another hour at the end of each day or staying all day on a Saturday or whatever, you know, without extra effort, you can improve your performance by knowing the right types of people in your organization. And a lot of that, uh, you know, that translates to information sharing, that I can learn something from somebody in Chicago that the people around me in Dallas don't know. And then I can use that to, well, one, I can share it with the rest of the people in my office and everybody can grow. But you know, I get these little tips that it, you know we get so insulated and, and sort of the information is very incestual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's reach out. Let's branch out. So no, that's, that's yeah. good to hear. In terms of pathways, mm-hmm. walk us through that. So I'm onboarded. I, I make it through the first year. I'm hitting my sales goals. Things are looking good. And I start thinking, I want to manage one of the profit centers. Mm. So what are the what are the steps in that pathway? Yeah. So there's no specific time. You know, some companies might have bands where you have to have a certain amount of tenure or education. And for us, it is completely up to the individual. This is why I think that personal branding and networking piece is so pivotal. That defines, and your success, how good are you? So I'd say for anyone who wants a promotion in any business, not even just ours, to be considered for a promotion, I personally look and see, are you already good at the job you have? So if you're not good at the job you have, why in the world would I give you additional responsibility and think that you're going to do great? Now, maybe it's a lateral move, you know, to some sort of a different role in a different department. But if you want to go from, say, ISR to OSR, or if you want to go an outside sales rep to a general manager or sales manager, if you're not excellent in your current role, you're not a consideration, in my opinion, as a successful candidate. So I'd say one, be very successful and have clear metrics. And if your manager is not, which they should, giving you really clear sales goals, ask for them, like go in tomorrow, ask your manager, can you set clear goals for me? Because I want to show I'm meeting and exceeding the goals that you've set. And that to me is what you'd be considered for. So if if you're interested, then in our company, you would put your hand up and say, hey, I, I want to go down this path. This is what I did. I said, I would like to be a general manager. And um, your local manager and your regional director would 
nominate you for our programs. So we have a sales excellence program. Let's say you are incredible. You're one year in from school. You're doing fantastic. You have natural leadership capabilities, but we don't feel like you quite have the experience just to bring to the role what it needs. Then that might be a great program for you because you get to be with the top sales reps in the company for an entire year, five different visits down to Dallas, intensive training, five weeks. Um, We really go through kind of like level two, three, four, five sales get you some good experience. You go home. Maybe we have you mentor a summer intern. Maybe we have you take on a a sales project. Maybe we have you handling some inventory, giving you some sort of responsibility. See how you do with it. Um, And then the next step would be our, our rising leaders program or our leadership development program. So taking someone, for example, from a sales role, And again, this is a year-long program. So let's say you're two or three years in, maybe a little farther down, um, experience to bring to the role, we'd put you through our leadership program. So it runs from January to December. Again, we meet five times in person in Dallas. And the focus is what makes a great leader? What qualities do you need to have? We study some great leaders. We talk about sales management. We talk about motivation in the workplace. How do you excite your team? There's a big difference between managing and motivating than inspiring. You know, really inspiring people for greatness. How do you help them in and outside the office to just be better people in general and just meet their goals and and have their dreams come to life? How do you do that as a manager? Um, We obviously look at the financials. That's the the really good juice of the stuff. I love that side. Um, You know, we look at our P&Ls and we determine what it would take from an inventory perspective, from a sales perspective, from a margin. How do you create a successful business? And at the end of the year, you graduate from the program, you become an assistant manager. Um, If and when you graduate, knock on wood, we haven't had someone not graduate. And this program we've been doing for probably 11 years now. I mean, this is not, I can't take credit. We've certainly adapted it to be something new, but this is something that's been going on in our company for years. You come out, you're an assistant manager, um, and you're basically on deck. So when a managerial role opens up to run one of our profit centers, we would say, okay, Dr. Bolander, are you interested in Fort Lauderdale? Yes. Great. No. Okay. How about Orlando? How about Miami? You know, I'm just naming locations. And so you'd kind of see what um, is a fit between what's open and what the candidate's looking for. Last year, we had six out of the 12 uh, before they even got to the end of the year, they were placed as managers. So we say technically at the end of the year, you're eligible. But once you're in that program, we're pretty seriously looking at you. And a lot actually get placed before they're even done. They still do the training because it's helpful, but they're often actually already in a managerial role. That's great. That's great. I think promoting from within is just not done enough. You have all these really great employees who are loyal to your company and they get your culture and they get your products. Why in the world would you have a culture where they have to leave and go somewhere else to go be successful? How about taking all that knowledge and just keeping it inside your company? I just think there's such an opportunity to take your own people and and hire from outside if and when be necessary. Some of our incredible managers were hired outside the company, but so many were, were promoted up from within. I like having the validity to say, as a manager, there's nothing I'm asking you to do that I haven't done myself. 
And even as a recruiter, you know, recruitment hat on, I'm on campus and I'm going, I was here 10 years ago in your shoes at a career fair, shaking in my boots with my resume, having no clue what company to go for. And I'm not going to pitch you a sales role that I don't think is going to make you wildly successful because I've done it myself. So I think there's that credibility factor that you lose if you don't look first Who's in your organization that you can promote instead of your first instinct being, let's post a LinkedIn ad. It's a lot lost with that. We're going to stop it right there for now. Please dive into the next episode of the Sales Lab to hear the conclusion of this interview. And by the way, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and to rate this podcast on whatever app you use to listen. Also, share this with your colleagues and friends, and let's continue to have a deeper discussion on all things related to selling and sales leadership. See you next time in the Sales Lab.